Hey, Mike Ulmer here. The great Mark Pettipaw lent me this space to remind you that now is a great time to write your nonfiction book. I've interviewed 10,000 people. I've written 19 books, and I want to help you write yours. Here's how we do it. First, we interview you. Then we give you a detailed step-by-step blueprint for your book based on that interview. We write your thousand-word introduction, throw in some cover ideas, and suggest a title. And here's the best part. We assign a writer to help you answer all your questions for a calendar year. You're going to be so sick of us. Click the link, I want to write my book, in Mark's show notes for a free consultation. At the very least, we'll help you find your story and send you on your way free of charge. Now it's on to lessons in leadership from the stockroom to the boardroom with my friend, Mark Pettipa. You are following the Lessons in Leadership podcast with Mark Pettipa, where we bring on multiple guests to share their stories about their growth and life and leadership, how they fail, how they succeed, what can you learn from it. No bullshit, real stories. Brought to you by www.markpettipa.com. Enjoy this episode of Lessons in Leadership. So welcome to episode six of the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am extremely thrilled uh, to have Lisa Larder on here today. Um, you know, I've had some tremendous leaders in my life and, and, I, and I really understand that it's been a blessing for me. And so I'm hoping I can, I can get Lisa to share some of her experience and stories today um, to follow up from the five previous amazing guests we've had on. So Lisa, thank you for being on today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I'm feeling a little bit of pressure. Your your social media posts have like built me up to be like this awesome leader, and I hope I live up to uh, what everybody's expectations are. <laughs> well, you you always have. I know you will succeed. You always have, and and the reputation from my perspective is well earned. But I'd, I'd love to share that story. So I'll take a little high level stab at Lisa's background. Um, and then, Lisa, if you don't mind, when I'm done, maybe filling in the blanks if I've missed anything that that really is really important that you want to make sure is mentioned. So, you know, I've spoke a lot about Lisa's background in retail when she was a regional manager at Telus and oversaw, you know, our retail operations in one half of the country. And and I was an area manager at that time, so I was lucky to get Lisa's support. Lisa moved on and had her own Telus wireless dealership. Um, and then she went on, and if I'm not mistaken, owned a microbrewery at one point as well. Yeah, we did. Yeah, and then uh, and now has the very successful uh, LisaLarder.com, and she's also an author uh, with Pilot to Profit. So Lisa's one of those people that's always moving. Uh, my sense is it's always to impact others as she's growing her business and, and bring her knowledge to others. So um, we're going to learn a little bit more about that today. But Lisa, what did I miss high level there? Um, well, I, I'd say high level that what you probably don't know is my venture into being a TELUS dealer was really a lateral move because I wasn't brave enough to do what I wanted to do. And so what I really wanted to do is I wanted to have a consulting business and I wanted to advise other business owners on what I knew about building a business. But my self-confidence said, you have never run your own big business before. Therefore, who are you to tell other business owners how to run theirs? And so as exciting as it was to open this beautiful TELUS dealership and, and do what I intuitively knew how to do because of my background, it very quickly became apparent to me that I had made a, a sidestep move in order to prepare myself to do what I really wanted to do. And I would say within a year of having that business, 
people started asking me to consult and to guide them and help them with marketing and business strategy and things like that. And here I am trying to, you know, really, I'm trying to run two businesses at the same time. And one of them really, you know, fires me up and feeds me joy. And the other one is a little bit of a grind with very, very low profit margins. And it was really um, challenging given the timing of when I opened that dealership to plan an effective exit strategy from it. It's, it's funny because as you tell that story, the parallel move, I remember you and I having a quick conversation a few years ago and, and I was sharing with you, you know, looking at my next move and I was going from, I think, a vice president to a president at the time. And I did a little consulting in between and you kind of challenged me like, isn't that what you really want to do? Like I get a sense and, and I chickened out. I chickened out and, and and my reason for doing it was I was forced into it with, you know, being laid off through COVID and temporarily, well, temporarily becomes too long. And and I didn't have a choice but to not be chicken anymore and go for it. And, and it's worked out. But what would you tell people who are on the fence right now with that same decision? Because I'm sure there's a ton of people out there that have they've wanted to go out and do it on their own and have an impact. What would you give people some guidance on to do it? How to make the decision and when? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think that um, first of all, if you if you know that you're you have the skills and ability to do it, uh, if not now, when? So one of the questions that uh, Michelle Patry, I don't know if you remember Michelle yep. Patry, she asked me years ago, I, I used to have lunch with her at least once a year because I was just enamored with her. She was brave enough to leave TELUS and start her own business and she was a director and I just thought she was amazing. And so every year I'd have lunch with her and I would tell her how badly I wanted to own my own business. And she said to me one day, Lisa, what has to change in order for you to finally do what you say you want to do? And that was like a little worm that went into my head. What has to change in order for me to do what I really want to do? And I realized that the only thing that needed to change was me. Because financially, I could afford to walk away from my job. I had enough, um, I had enough money saved that I could fund myself for a while in order to start something. And another conversation that took place with a woman in Sudbury years ago, uh, I was stuck in Sudbury snowstorm waiting for a flight. I ended up sitting next to this woman. We ended up talking. She was studying med school up in Sudbury. <clears throat> and uh, so I asked her, I said, wow, she was telling me she used to be a lawyer. And she made partner at this firm in Ottawa and decided it wasn't what she wanted to do. So she went back to school to be a doctor. And I was like, you made partner in a law firm and now you're going to med school? Like, how, how does somebody do that? And, so, and so I'm having this conversation with her about where she found the courage and confidence to make this big, big move. And the one thing that she said that really resonated with me is if this doesn't work out, they can still hire me back as a lawyer. They can't take away what I already know how to do. And that also mm. stuck in my mind. I can get a job in retail tomorrow in a nanosecond. So could you. So just because you choose to go down a different path doesn't mean that you lose all of the experience that you bring to the table. It's an and, it's not a but. You're adding more, you're not eliminating what you once had. So just like we you know, buy and sell houses and we move from one town to the next, you can move from one career path to another career path. Nobody will ever take away the experience that you have. 
So having that plan financially lowered the risk, but also have, knowing the confidence you had in your transferable skill set that you could jump back in if you yes, failed. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I think that that resonates with me, although we have a, a different side to the financial very transparently. I, that was holding me back because, mm -hmm. you know, with four kids, a divorce, two mortgages, yeah. um, and, and not having that financial security, um, that's part of what was going to, but then when COVID happened and I was on the sidelines, I didn't have a job anyways. Right. So like, I got to go out and make it work. So that excuse is now gone and I right. don't have it anymore. And so, yeah, it's, it's about being there, um, with confidence, but also knowing there's some type of financial yeah. uh, impact to that decision. There's um, one other thing yep. that I did that I think a lot of people don't spend the time doing this. And, and for me, it's, it's immensely helpful is I sit and I really think about worst case scenario. What is the worst thing that can happen? And for me, when I thought about quitting my job and starting a business, the worst thing that could happen is I would lose everything and I would have to start again. And so I really sat and I thought about that. How would I feel if we lost our home? How would I feel if I had to get a job and we had to rent an apartment and we had to rebuild? How would I do that? And so I had to get really clear on what the worst case scenario downside would be and what I would do if that happened. And once I got clear on, all right, well, that's not life or death. I, you know, I've, I've lived in an apartment before. I've been broke before. I've paid rent before. I've been in debt up to my eyeballs before and, and found a way to climb out of all of that. And so by looking at that and, and reminding yourself that you have what it takes to get out of a situation like that, if you've gotten out of it once before, you can get out of it again. It's really, it's really validating my decision. So thank you. <laughs> I didn't expect this, but it's, it's the thought process I went through with all those responsibilities is mm -hmm. what do I, well, we have equity in the home and yeah, we'd have to downsize and, and yeah, I'd have to get back in the market, but we'd make it work. And, and that's the worst case scenario. And, and I went through that even when I was trying to decide to do it on my own or buy a coaching franchise. Right. And, and that worst case scenario became worse as I looked at borrowing the money to spend $250,000 on a franchise and giving away 15% of my revenue in perpetuity. And I went, whoa, that, and, and, and the franchise I was looking at buying was quite impressed because at least it gave me the content in advance mm -hmm. and that volume of content instead of having to build it each time, which I'm actually learning to love. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that, that was like, that mindset was like, no, that's too far. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go that far in debt for that long again in my life can't make that decision go back to doing it on and, your and own franchises franchises are terrible for leaders they really are franchises are like toolkits that people who don't have a lot of leadership experience buy when you are super creative and you are used to leading teams and you're used to coming up with strategy and you're used to coming up with new ideas working inside of a friendship or a franchise can feel stifling for you so I think you made the right decision, not just financially, but I think for your own um, skills and ability, you would have really been, you would have had to operate inside of a box and that's not who you are. Yeah, I agree. And, that, and, that's, and it's a fit for a lot of people out there to mm -hmm. your point. But yeah, Absolutely. Like I, it probably would have been a struggle for me because I'd always want to be reinventing their content. I'd want to be yeah. moving with the clients. And, and then again, Absolutely. what controls do you have, right? Absolutely. So. Tell me a little bit, Lisa, and I want to talk about social media in a bit because you're tremendous at it. Um, and maybe we didn't talk about your speaking as well. I forgot to mention that you're, you're, you're a very highly sought after keynote speaker. Um, 
But let's talk a little bit more on the leadership front. What would you say is your biggest transferable skill set? I have a guess, but I'd love to know in your words, why have you been successful in the corporate structure as a leader, independent as a dealer, um, microbreweries, consultants? What is it that transfers along for you from your perspective? Well, I think the constant that transfers along is there's probably two things. One is relationship building and two is communication skills. So I think that when you build strong relationships with people uh, in, in any environment, uh, it helps you to lead more effectively because people trust you. And I think that communication skills in terms of um, setting expectations and teaching people and guiding people and empowering people. If you're not an effective communicator, and when I say effective communicator, I mean, you know, I can be pretty direct. And so communication to me isn't always, um, you know, uh, care bear hugs. It's communicating a message the way that it needs to be communicated given the situation. And if you have strong relationships with people, you can be direct and they know how to take you. And so I think that, you know, those are, are probably two. The third, I would say, is my ability to teach other people how to do what they need to be able to do. See, years ago in retail, I remember somebody telling me when I became a store manager for the very first time, you are only as good, <clears throat> excuse me, as what you can teach your team to do. If you can't transfer skill to someone else as a, a leader, then you are really just a producer who's really good at that skill. And so I've always kind of challenged myself to be able to um, transfer skills to other people and let them take ownership and responsibility of the work. And you can't transfer skill easily without strong communication and relationships. So relationship building, communication, and teaching. Mm -hmm. it, it's funny because the knock that servant leadership gets as an example, and, and, and I, I've never heard you define yourself this way. So if I'm defining you in a way, please correct me. But I saw that behavior out of you and Jackie Fu and, and Joe and Bruce and, and, and all that tremendous team. And there was edge. And I think the knock servant leadership gets is, you know, there's a lot of philosophy out there, but no one really trains the behaviors that actually show up as a servant leader. And people think, you know, the decision makers and the owners, well, that's huggy huggy and it's too right. soft. And they don't realize some of the best servant leaders build the relationship to build the trust, to be able to give the individual the harsh feedback they need right. to change the behavior. And you always did that well. I remember, I tell this story a lot of people, you may or may not remember, but you're my regional you had just started. I had Tracy Martini before you, and there was a switch. And anyways, we were sitting in Aaron Mills, and we sat with the manager of the store at the time, and you watched me do a coaching session with them. Um, sorry, watch me coaching them, coaching someone else and giving observational feedback as the leader. And their KPIs were great. The store was clean. The VM guide went well. And then you said, yeah, but what'd you miss? And I remember thinking, what is with the new regional manager? <laughs> Like, come on, we're rocking. Like, and you know me well enough to know that, like, you know, I like to be a high performer. I Measurables are important to me. And I wanted to impress you. And I'm like, what do you mean? What did I miss? That manager just aced it. And you're like, did you look at their sweater? And I was like, what? They're wearing the Telus brand. And that black sweater was full of cat hair. And I remember thinking, really? Like, 
but but then you explain like listen you know how are they preparing for their day if they're preparing for their day at home and they're coming into work and they're taking pride in that brand or they're doing those extra things to make sure they show up well and they're setting the right example for their team it's not just about the business result it's about the behaviors that cause it and i remember thinking all of that out of a little cat here but <laughs> but 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 the guy's sweater was covered like it was covered in and then i missed it and and so it's really about you know those skills that you were able to build a relationship with me. And, and that was early on between you and I. You challenged me right from the beginning. Um, how do people become comfortable with that? Because that's hard. Uh, high performers want to be challenged. I mean, high performers want to be challenged. People who are not high performers curl up and cry. Like I, and I don't mean to sound that disparagingly, but not everyone is meant to be a high performing leader. And so as an individual, you either are going to be okay with being challenged to be your best. And you could admit when somebody points something out, like, God, I should have saw that, or that was really useful. That was helpful. Or you can be the type of person who takes everything personally and you allow that to basically immobilize you. And I want to work with high-performing team members. I want to work for, with people who are always uh, trying to improve and, you know, get to the next level. And when I say level, I don't mean like climb the corporate ladder. I mean, you know, reach the next level personally and professionally in terms of their skills and abilities. The minute that uh, your leader uh, stops challenging you is probably the moment that you've outgrown them. So, you know, I always tell my clients, someday we're going to break up. Like someday we are going to break up and that's okay. I expect it. I expect that you are going to, uh, at some point, you're going to look for coaching and guidance and advisement from someone else. And I want you to know that that's okay. I fully expect that to happen. And um, Nabil, a guy that uh, coaches with me, he looked at me and he said, you know, I have a funny feeling that's not going to happen for a very, very, very long time. And I was like, well, why? He goes, because you are so committed to learning that I feel like I can't keep up with you. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, wow, that's a huge compliment. Because as a leader myself, I am committed to learning. Like I read, a, I'm reading a book every single day. I'm constantly investing in my own learning. I'm going to, I mean, not right now because of COVID, but I used to go to events a few times a year. And I'm always trying to learn so that I've got more knowledge to be able to teach and empower my my clients with and my team with. The, in in a in a, a work environment as a leader, when you have team members that are not committed to that journey of learning then they're the wrong they're not the right people if they're in a leadership role you are you and richard petty are the only two leaders that have ever been able to inspire me and not force me to read a book you know i, I go back i think it was primal leadership daniel goleman that mm -hmm. you forced me to read a us the first time like you made me and i i think we had to report out on it as yeah. a your team but yeah. but you forced me through the behavior that allowed me to see the value in it. And then I lost that for a little bit. And then when I got to MLSE, Richard made me read Noel Tishy's Leadership Engine. And that's always stuck with me. And the only person, and I've read a bunch along the way, but the only person who's been able to kind of call back the behavior was you and you told me to read Alan Weiss's book when I started the business. You said, no matter what you do, you're gonna read Million Dollar Consulting. And sure enough, 
ton of value at it, helped me start my business properly. Alan even saw my post and sent me a signed book, which was really cool. Um, but you have that ability to create a little edge to say, I know I can push you, Mark. And you're mm-hmm. going to, and, and, and I think what I want people to understand in this podcast, it, as much as you've been able to do that for me and others, um, it still hurts every time. Like, I think if you're a high performer, you don't want to hear that you have a gap but you need to hear that you have a gap. And so I hope people don't think that goes away. It gets better over time. But I think, you know, the, 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 the exact opposite of being a high performer is not wanting to be great all the time. So the minute you get some feedback that says there's a gap, right. you're gonna, you are gonna react negatively and you gotta force, your, I, th- I find you gotta force yourself to listen to the feedback and move forward. It's like. You know, again, another thing to tell us, you guys taught us we had to go through 360s. There was a real cool program in place. And I think it was Pulse Check at the time for employee engagement. And those 360s, I swear by to this day, but I always start reading them with a glass of wine. Because <laughs> it sucks. Because, you know, some behaviors that come up that you think you're good at, you're not. And you got to go back and deliver to your team. So I think it's, sorry, just to put an end to that, I think it's great advice and just on the other end, people don't forget that it doesn't get easy overnight to hear you have a gap. No, but the more you focus on building your self-esteem and your self-confidence, the less it hurts. The more you can become objective at looking at the feedback and ask yourself, is this valid? Is this relevant? And, you know, I know we're talking about leadership, but one of the things that I really uh, admire and appreciate about Alan is Alan always says that unsolicited advice is for the sender, not the receiver. And so you really want to be careful who you take advice from in in terms of, you know, who you let in your head and who you let impact your heart when it comes to your development and and growth and seek out advice from people you uh, respect, who have done what you aspire to do, who are further along the path versus those people who don't know anything about the work that you're in. You know, I would never ask my mom for leadership advice because my mom's never been a manager or a leader or a business owner. So her perspective is not the, I love my mom dearly, but her perspective is not the one I'm looking for from a business perspective. And I find that sometimes what we do is we want to protect our fragile little egos. And so we seek advice from people that are going to make us feel good. You know, we seek advice from people who are going to give us all those positive strokes. And that just keeps you small. You know, you want to seek out advice from people that you respect, that know, uh, that you know are giving you feedback to help you grow, and they see your potential as being greater than what you see in yourself. You know, a client of mine reached out to me, it was funny, a couple weeks ago before we made this move to Calgary, I was decluttering my office and going through all these old notebooks and because, you know, I, I used to write in notebooks. Now I have this thing a client gave me called a remarkable tablet and I love it because I can keep everything in one spot. It's digital. Um, but I used to have notebook after notebook after notebook. And I don't like to throw those notebooks away because sometimes there's really good stuff in them. And I actually never throw them away. I burn them because there's confidential stuff in them. Mm. But I was flipping through the notebook and I came across a strategy session that I had done with someone and the list of goals that we set for her business. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to her on Facebook. And she's like, oh my God, that was two years ago. And every single one of those things has come true. And so now she's writing a book and she's actually put a story in the book, but the story is about 
how I saw potential that made her really uncomfortable. I saw her potential as being so much greater than what she could see for herself. And that it took her a little bit of time to get comfortable with what I could see was possible for her. And that over a two year period, it all happened. And so if you want to aspire to greater levels of leadership, you've got to practice thinking big and you've got to practice thinking so big that there is a gap that you've got to close in order to get there. Otherwise, if you're just taking little tiny itty bitty steps forward, you're not, you're not really growing. Just a validation for those listening uh, that Lisa practices what she preached. You mentioned at the beginning of the answer that Alan Weiss told you that unsolicited feedback is for the deliverer, not the delivery. You, re when, I, when I announced my company and I put the logo out there, you sent me a text and you're like, would you like some advice? And then there was like the dot, dot, dot. And then you're like, actually, one of my mentors, Alan Weiss told me that you, exactly what you just said. And you step back, you're like, do you want the advice? Like, because I got to make sure you understand this is for you, not for me giving it. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought, wow, that was pretty unique because it actually made it resonate. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure I took the advice. I probably should have. We'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> but it is one of those things that has got me thinking, right? And, 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 and we all learn at different paces. And, and so sometimes for me, I find it's got to hit me once. Mm -hmm. and, and then it's got to hit me again. And then I start to adapt and change. And so I, I just think that's okay for me. But long story yeah. short, you gave me that exact same guidance. Yeah, and, and, and you know, exact words. I really, I am not in the habit of giving away, um, giving out advice for free. Uh, because I really do believe that when you give people advice that they didn't seek, they're less responsive to that advice. But there are some people that I have a relationship with where I feel like I can potentially save them a step by sharing something. And, and you're one of those people I've had a relationship with for a very long time. And so that's why I'm comfortable saying to you, do you want some advice or no, right? Yeah, you, you could just give it to me, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll take any advice you have to share and I'll <laughs> always listen. Um, so I just wanna shift a little bit here, uh, you know, and you've been great for your time. We got about 20 minutes. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about personal influence and, and, and I think as we progress through life, we, well, at least I look back and go, oh man, I didn't, I didn't realize that gift was right in front of me. And I didn't realize that, you know, some of the good stuff in me comes from those people. And I should have paid a little more attention, but I'm, I'm more appreciative. So I, you know, I always talk about, I try and talk about, I can't do it yet without crying. It's still, it's still too raw with my parents, mm -hmm. um, but they had a huge influence on my life. Um, and as I look back, they had a huge in influence on my leadership style. My dad was a military guy. So any discipline and strategy that I do have is from dad. And my mom was maritime or life of the party lady. Make sure everybody's happy first. Serve them, eat last. Right. Um, and wanted everyone to have a smile on their face. So when you put that disciplinarian versus a servant, I look back and go, yeah, you know what? Some of that, without being told, I, I clearly watched that and had a... My personal life had an influence on my career. Do you have any either family, friends, um, peers that have had, do you look back and you go, wow, I, I learned from them. I didn't even realize I was learning from them. And what was it, if at all? Hmm. I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a few people. I, I mean, obviously I learned from Jackie, you know, I remember 
I was sitting down and I, Jackie had just become my boss at TELUS and I had to give somebody a written performance review and she sat in the room next to me. And as she's sitting beside me, she's writing on the performance review with a red pen. And the more she wrote, the more uncomfortable I became. I felt like the room was closing in on me. And uh, this woman got up and left after the performance review. And Jackie was like, okay, so now I want to give you some feedback. And she went through and she gave me positive feedback on every single thing that I did in the session. And it was a complete 360 for me because my brain said that that red pen was writing down everything that I was doing wrong. And so... That was a defining moment for me in terms of the power of paying attention to what people are doing right. Um, the other person who's been a significant influence in my life is my husband. And, um, you know, financially, I wasn't very responsible before I met my husband. And when we started dating and we decided that we wanted to uh, move in together, we decided we were going to buy a house. And I didn't have, I mean, part of my language, I didn't have a pot to piss in. I had debt, consumer debt. I didn't have assets. I, I was in bad financial shape. And my husband, on the other hand, was very responsible with money. And um, I remember saying to him, I will sign something that says that I didn't have any money for the down payment so that if anything ever goes wrong, you know, you're protected. And he basically looked at me and was like, don't be a loser. And um, that trust that he had in me coupled with how responsible he is in terms of um, his commitment to our home and our life uh, and making sure that, you know, we're always okay, fundamentally changed me in terms of how responsible I became. So I would say, you know, those two people, I mean, you talk about your dad being in the military. My dad was in the military too, but I didn't grow up with my dad. My husband came from a, his dad was in the military and my husband was in law enforcement for a long time. So he's very uh, self-disciplined. And I think that self-discipline has had a significant impact on me as well over the years. So those are yep. two people. And I mean, obviously Alan, but I mean, it's a little bit different. Alan's only been in my life like the last five years. Right. But still having an influence over those five years, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, it's funny you mentioned um, the discipline side with Paul, right? And, and, and his background. It's funny, like, um, it's balancing those things as you adapt and get exposed to them. Like, you know, so for me, the front end of my life was mom, mom, mom. Like, I was life of the party guy. Like, Let's get the paycheck. Let's go buy drinks. That's all I've got. And then as life progressed and responsibilities came on, it was more dad, 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 and seeing that gap, but having those lessons to lean back on and, mm -hmm. and pick the right one at the right time. But I just find we, you know, as life moves on, we realize, you know, it's life. Um, mm -hmm. The look back, it kind of always provides some validation when the individual wasn't looking for credit while they were mm -hmm. doing it. They were just caring for you. And I think we all have yeah. a responsibility to pay that forward to the people in our lives. So yeah, for sure. Let's talk about how bad you are. No, I'm just teasing. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about two things. Um, and then we'll wrap it up with a, a couple quick questions. One, failures. We all go through them. Um, either a good one that was really bad that you could share with the group and what you learned from it, or, you know, some small ones that there's a learning lesson for those paying attention to the podcast. Uh, what type of, what type of failure do you That's want? Is it a leader business. thing? Business? Yeah. And, and career. Uh, actually, let's not make that your bit. Let's make that career as you've grown. 
Well, I think in business, one of the biggest mistakes that I made at the very beginning when I opened my business was thinking that I knew everything about business and not realizing what I didn't know. So you don't know what you don't know until you know. And I remember thinking that I understood financially how to run a business. You have income and you have expense and you have profit left over, right? It's pretty simple. Well, there's this other word that nobody talks about when you work in the corporate world. It's called cash flow. And cash flow is the timing of when money arrives in the bank and when money goes out. And one day I got um, a a statement from TELUS telling me that I owed $100,000 for inventory I had bought for the Christmas season. One small problem, I didn't have $100,000 in the bank. And so I had to eat some humble pie. And I had to pick up the phone, I had to call TELUS, and I need to say, what can I do here? I don't have this much money in the bank and I didn't sell all the inventory that I thought I was going to sell over the Christmas season. And I literally remember lying awake that night with my very responsible husband sleeping beside me looking at the ceiling thinking, how do I tell Paul that Mm -hmm. I've just bankrupted the business within 90 days of opening? And so I learned by asking for help that I could uh, do, I could send inventory back once a year without a restocking fee. And so I was able to send inventory back and get a credit to offset what I owed and make it through. And I was able to learn how to manage the cash flow. But it took a while for me to really learn how to accumulate cash flow versus just manage cash flow. So I would be in my credit line and then I would get paid and I would be out of my credit line and then I would pay bills and I would be in my credit line. And I knew that that was not sustainable in business. So I literally, I went to my bookkeeper at the time and I said, I need a cash flow management, like a cash flow spreadsheet to help me. So he created this beautiful spreadsheet and he input all the fields for what I paid on a weekly basis and, you know, put all my bill totals in and mapped it all out for a year so that I could see if I earned X, I would have Y. And I took that spreadsheet home and I deleted all of the contents. And I started from scratch and I input the data myself, one cell at a time, because I needed to understand in my brain where the money was going and what I needed to expect to pay and when, and what I could expect to receive and when. And by doing that exercise, I was able to go from always being in my credit line to accumulating, you know, tens of thousands, if not close to $100,000 in my bank account over a period of time, which helped me to be able to sell the store because now I understood how to manage the cash flow and manage my profits better. But I was looking at it the wrong way. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I think that when you start a business, there's always going to be stuff that you don't know. And the faster you can figure out what you don't know and get help from somebody, the better off you will be. So that was that was one of the, the scariest things that happened to me in business. Good for you for learning from it, right? And I and I and I, I just wanted to touch on something you mentioned there and, and, and expand a little bit. You talked about going through the discipline of writing the numbers in yourself. So you understood that as you were writing that number in, what was causing that result. Mm-hmm. I remember in retail days working at Athletes World, Thomas Bada, the Mr. Bada. Um, would come in once a year into the Eaton Center because it was the flagship store and he'd ask for my prosperity card. And the prosperity card was literally in this leather old binder and you had to write out every week 
what your footwear sales were, what your apparel sales were, and what your accessory sales were. Now, we had all the computers for all the reports in the world on the on the POS, um, but he made us write it in with a green pen when it was positive over the week before, black when it was relatively neutral, and red when it was a loss. And I at first, I was like, why is this guy, like, why does he care? He's got all these reports. And why is he coming in my store? He's not looking at the shoe wall. He's not watching my sales behaviors of my team. First thing he asked for is a sale is a prosperity card. And then I got it. As I did it more and more, I'm like, oh my God, like my footwear is down this week. What am I going to do with the shoe wall? Let's break it down by category. Is cross trainers moving more than running and why? And where are they positioned in the store? And so I really love that you touched on that because I'm going through that learning all over again. Mm -hmm. As I do my own month ends and I got to look at the red ink versus the black ink on a month and understand that I spent that money on social and I didn't get a return. Was it the right avenue? Was it the right message? What a waste. Or I did a sponsorship on that golf event and I got two connections, got one client that spent $10,000 and it cost me $1,500. That's a good return. And and, and forcing mm -hmm. myself, because I have no other option to write it down, has been a blessing. So I think that's wise words of advice for anyone out there is understand what you're writing down and understand the behavior yeah. causing the result. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. I I still have the discipline. Someone else does it for me, but I look at it every week. I have sales reporting that I get every single week for my business. And I know for some of my clients, when I tell them that they need to track their sales every week, they feel a little bit uncomfortable, especially in the beginning, because sometimes they don't sell something every week. And I want you to sit in that discomfort. Because if you didn't sell something that week, why didn't you? Right. right? So it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's uncomfortable. But like you, if you had to write that footwear was down every week, four weeks in a row, by the fourth week, you're like, all right, I have to do something about this, right? But if you waited until the end of four weeks to write it down, you wouldn't have had the same awareness, the same tension to impact change. Yeah, and I think, I, I, full credit to you and Jackie, and I think it was, were they called Friedman training at the time? Friedman? Mm -hmm. where we implemented KPIs at TELUS and you guys took all of us through it, the training on how to train our managers and the gold star, yeah. red dot, black dot. Um, one of the things that really opened my eyes to is even when you think things are going well, you might be losing an opportunity. And when things aren't going well, you may be, you may be maximizing opportunity. And unless you know the individual numbers, you don't know the individual behaviors that change the result because you could be up 15%, but your footwear can be down eight. And you're walking away from that money because the global number looks good and, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden something else is going to drop and you're stuck. So that was a behavior I've never lost. So thank you guys for making that investment at that time and that training. Um, okay. That's kind of where I wrap it up a little bit, Lisa, and, and, and ask you kind of three last theme questions. And, and it's really like four or five because I squeeze in a couple <laughs> per question. What advice would you give someone who's wanting to grow their career today? What's the best way to continue to learn and grow? And what advice would you give those who are in care of others who are trying to grow and, and, and build their careers? Uh, if you, I'm going to give them both the same advice. And it comes from a Keith Brothers book. I think it's called Made to Stick. And it is look for the bright lights. So in the Heath Brothers book, Made to Stick, there's a story about um, a town, I think, I think it was in Vietnam, where there was a whole bunch of um, children dying from malnourishment. 
And this guy was sent in to fix the problem. And he was given a very, very short period of time to fix the problem. And so what he did is he looked for bright spots. And what he meant by bright spots is he looked at why are some kids okay and the vast majority are not okay. And so what he did is he went to the mothers of the kids that were okay and he wanted to find out what, what are they doing differently that is making their kids okay. And it turned out that the only thing that they were doing differently is they weren't feeding their kids more. They weren't feeding their kids uh, that much differently. But what they were doing is instead of just giving their kids rice uh, once or twice a day, they were grinding up a little bit of shrimp and they were giving their kids the same amount of rice, but they were giving their kids the rice multiple times per day. And these kids were significantly healthier and they were living. And, and so he enrolled those mothers to teach other mothers in the community how to feed their kids the same way. And so the mothers were able to influence other mothers because they were already part of the community, whereas he was an outsider. And the impact was all of these kids got a lot healthier and they reduced the death rate significantly. And so I think that when you are inside of an organization, when you are in charge of your career, you want to look for bright spots. Who are the leaders that are the bright spots that you aspire to be like? Try to engage them as a mentor. Now, I'm going to tell you, the first time I asked somebody to be my mentor, Michelle Patry is actually who it was. She, told, she turned me down. She's like, you don't need me as a mentor. And she said no to me. And my poor little heart was crushed. And then I thought, you know what? You're going to mentor me anyways. And so I invited her out for lunch every year. And I, you know, continued to have conversations with her and get the mentorship that I wanted. But she didn't know that I considered her my mentor. And so I think that when you're trying to grow up in an organization, you're trying to grow your career, you should look for the bright spots. Look for the leaders that are really, really bright that can help you on your path. And at the same time, if you are a leader who's trying to inspire your team to new levels of, of growth and opportunity, look for the bright spots. Look for the people on your team that stand out. Look for the people that show signs of willingness, that show interest in taking on more responsibility and invest more time and energy into those people to help them move forward in their careers. Very, very great advice. It's it's funny, like I, I talk about the reflection piece and, and, and understanding things that you may not. I'm thinking about the STAR program that I think you and Jackie implemented at TELUS. Mm -hmm. There was a program where you guys had forced the teams to identify the best player at every position in a store operation. And you put them together to go into a deficient mm -hmm. store. So those behaviors could be seen mm -hmm. by the deficient staff, learn from them, because those were the bright spots, yeah. change the behavior and lift people up. And that star team was really your recognition of the best players and how they could influence right. others and help them lead. It was that two-pronged advice. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about you as we, well, we've gotten your feedback, but let's talk about your business for the last couple of minutes here. Um, what are you doing now? Where can people find you? And what is next in the life of Lisa Larder? <laughs> uh, you know, my business is going through a bit of transition right now. 
in, in the sense that every year since I have been in business, my business has continued to grow. So I have not had a year where we've had a decline in sales uh, since I started. So that was, it's been 12 years, I think we've continued to grow. And so we're at a new level now in the business where I need to step up my own leadership and really look at how I'm building this company versus um, this, this little business that revolves around Lisa. And so uh, what you can expect is, you know, I, I'm in the process of reworking my website to really showcase the services that our team offers. Um, now that we are in Calgary and I have access to regular high-speed internet, you can expect to see me doing more online programs and maybe half-day workshops and things like that virtually where I can kind of share some of my skills and expertise with people. So I think you'll see a lot of um, change coming in terms of how I utilize my influence and my leadership skills to help others. You know, I used to do stuff like that before we moved to Nova Scotia. And then when we moved to Nova Scotia and our internet connection was so wonky, I felt like I couldn't guarantee the value through my internet connection to do some type of an online program with people that people would pay for. So I, I shied away from doing them. And now I feel like I've got the stability of high-speed internet that I can start to do uh, some of those things again. So um, right now my website really looks very much about Lisa, lisalarder.com. But the truth is we do strategy, I do coaching and advisement, and we do a lot of marketing implementation services. So you know I have a, I have a team of 25 people and wow. We build websites and we do SEO and we do social media and we do content marketing and all kinds of stuff. And so um, I've built a successful business that has a lot of it has been based on referrals without even really saying what it is that we do on our website. And so it's, you know, the next phase is, is becoming a little bit louder and prouder of what we can do for people. Love that, louder and prouder. I, I would tell anyone who's listening to this, lisalarter.com, L-I-S-A-L-A-R-T-E-R.com. Um, what I love about Lisa's um, skill set is, you know, what you're hearing is, you know, you need to make people more aware of the functional skills that you can improve in a company, but you have the context of having done it. And, and done it from a corporate perspective and from an entrepreneurial perspective where that will have some context for companies that are out there considering mm -hmm. that service. There's a lot of consultants and this isn't meant as a shot um, that haven't done the role. And so, you know, how do they provide value when it's more philosophical than philosophical and practical? And so I, I strongly recommend people check you out and, and see what you can do because, um, Boy, if they get even a tenth of the exposure and learning that I have from you, uh, their businesses will be further ahead. So I did want to leave you with this before I ask. Well, actually, any words of wisdom, parting words for anybody listening to this that's like, I want to grow. I, 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 I'm listening to these podcasts because I want to learn from these great mm -hmm. leaders who've been successful. What would you say? I would say that leadership is not a title. It's, do it, it, you know what I mean? If you're waiting for somebody to... Um, give you the title or give you permission to lead, you will never lead. That leadership is a behavior. It's a decision to do something to make a difference. And that when you step into your right to do that, your desire to do that, you can have an impact. And that you should quiet the voice in your mind that says, who am I to do that? 
you may not be as far down the path in, in experience as say I am or Mark is, but there you are further down the path than someone else is. And so I feel like we all have a responsibility to give to the, the next group of people that are, tra- that are aspiring to get to where we've gotten to. And, you know, even when all of this COVID stuff hit, I was posting stuff on social media for, you know, the first couple of months on things that you could do in your business right now to keep people focused on how to move forward and not backwards as a result of what was happening. Because a lot of people felt like they had no control. Mm-hmm. And I believe we always have control. We can always do something. And so I think that um, in leadership, too many people are waiting for permission to lead. And if you're waiting for permission to lead, you're not a leader because leaders lead. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll finish. First of all, thank you for your time. I'll finish with this, Lisa. Like, thank you for everything you've always done for me. Um, I don't think we stop and thank people enough. A lot of the behaviors that, that I'm continuing to work on and I'm super proud that are important to me um, were drilled into me by you and Jackie Fu. Um, that is really where my career turned. You know, I, I had a great leader called Mark McRae and Andre Giroux at Champs that if I would have paid more attention, I was also 22 years old and my mindset wasn't there yet. I would have gotten it earlier, but but you guys really gave me the shift and, and it's impacted my life and it continues to. So thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Okay, everybody, that was Lisa Larder. Check her out at lisalarder.com. You won't be disappointed. Do you have a, uh, you still one book, Lisa, or do you have a second book out? Uh, I've got like probably five in the works, but only one published. <laughs> okay, so Pilot to Profit is still available. Yes, it is. Strongly recommend. Thanks, Lisa.